You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Welcome to COVID-19, Update for Healthcare Professionals, Voices from the Frontlines podcast. You may notice a few audio imperfections due to the live recording of this session. It was recorded remotely from the presenters' homes and without professional equipment. Thanks for joining us. So good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us in this webinar tonight. Um, this is a COVID-19 update called Managing Emotions, Taking Care of Ourselves and Each Other. Um, my name is Dana Hubler. I'm a family doctor joining this webinar from the traditional territory of the Comox people tonight. Um, I'm the medical director for UBC's Rural Continuing Professional Development Program. And I really want to thank you all for taking the time to join us tonight. This is our eighth webinar in a series of COVID-19 webinars that the UBC's Division of Continuing Professional Development within the Faculty of Medicine is delivering to support a multidisciplinary healthcare um, approach to, for urban and rural practitioners during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's really important for us uh, to acknowledge that there are other very important aspects of provider wellness in the situation we all find ourselves in right now, including getting accurate and timely COVID-19 information and updates and having uh, PPE widely available to people working in the front lines. So those are very valid systemic factors that can't be ignored. But for tonight's webinar, we wanted to spend some time acknowledging and managing the emotions that are surfing for us. Uh, as we are healthcare providers in this pandemic. Um, we also wanted to take a, a brief moment to pause um, and reflect on the grief that many people are experiencing right now as they face the news of the tragedy in rural Nova Scotia and uh, for all the losses that we're experiencing throughout BC, throughout Canada, and our global community during this pandemic. Just wanted to take a, a brief pause and just acknowledge that grief. So big breath, and um, with that, let's get started with this session. So I'd like to pass uh, you over to our really wonderful panel of urban and rural family doctors and specialists, um, Dr. Tandy Wilkinson, Dr. Leanne Laverty, Dr. Ann McNamara, and Dr. Raul Gupta. And we're going to get started with the session with Tandy. Hi, everyone. My name is Tandy Wilkinson. I'm a rural family physician. Uh, my practice now is uh, restricted to emergency medicine. I live in Nelson, BC. And one other thing that I've been doing is uh, research through um, the Department of Family Practice at UBC. I received a Rural Scholar Award and I've done some research on peer support. So that's a topic near and dear to my heart. Thank you. Leanne? Hi, my name is Leanne Laverty. I'm an orthopedic surgeon who works and lives um, in the Kootenai, uh, so Trail BC is a regional hospital I work at. And uh, I'm interested in physician wellness, having had experiences of professional burnout and also having experienced um, what's possible when physicians get together um, without a patient agenda and um, just the amazing things that can happen when, when that occurs. Anne, can you introduce sure. yourself? Um, I'm Anne McNamara. I've been a respirologist in Surrey Hospital for more than 20 years, including 
10 of those years as uh, leader of department uh, locally and regionally. And I've um, relatively recently become a certified executive coach. So I'm now using my energy and my empathy and my expertise to try to serve uh, my colleague, my colleagues, my peers, physicians uh, like yourselves, uh, helping to build lives professionally and personally of, of resilience and joy. Um, and I'll hand over to Rolf. Thank you, Anne. Uh, my name is Raul Gupta, and I live in Gibsons, BC. So uh, I live and work on the ancestral lands of the Squamish and Shishalt people. And um, I've been trained in family medicine uh, for the last five or 10 years. I've been focusing more on the mental health aspects of medicine. So I serve patients in our community, as well as uh, physicians around the province. I'm a certified mindfulness instructor and a personal coach. And so I've been fortunate to um, spend a lot of time with colleagues around the province exploring personal and professional transitions and challenges that we face together. Thank you, everybody. And I think now we'll uh, turn it over to Roll. And we're just going to really um, sh check in to some of the emotions that you guys were kind enough to share through our Slido and then through our panel. So thanks, Roll. Sure. Yeah. So Brett. Perhaps before uh, sharing the poll, I thought I might just say a little bit about, um, about emotions. And just to say, first off, um, that it's okay if you're not feeling okay right now. We've been in this for about five or six weeks. And I remember early on reading an article where the author said that uh, um, it would be insane to feel good during a pandemic. And so he, he went on to say, feel grateful for the discomfort of your sanity. And I remember when I read that, I was like, okay, wow, that just gave me a huge dose of compassion for what I was experiencing. Because on another level, emotions are really critical for our well-being. Um, they are often coming up, the more challenging emotions are coming up because something important to us is either threatened or ignored. And so, in fact, the emotions are really um, guiding us to decision-making about choices that we might follow and really important for us to tune into them. And yet, as a culture, especially in a medical culture, I think we've long uh, lived in a way that we maybe see some of these challenging emotions as weak. And we can judge them as um, negative. We might even blame ourselves for having them. We can sometimes even shame ourselves for some of the emotions that come up. And it can just start this loop of really turning off our awareness of these emotions. And that has a big cost because um, when we turn ourselves off to some of these more challenging emotions, we actually turn off our ability to tune into some of the more positive emotions as well. So actually, I was really quite pleased when we decided to send out this link to participants. And we decided to make the spectrum pretty wide to include some of the different more challenging and more positive emotions. I was quite pleased to see that many of you did share experiencing some of the more positive emotions as well. So I wonder if, Lindsay, you wouldn't mind taking a moment just to uh, share the screen that gives us a sense of how people that are participating might be feeling themselves. Give me one second. Sure.
Thank you. So um, if you did have a chance to um, fill the survey or the poll and, and share with us your uh, different emotions, um, you can perhaps see where you landed on this. Uh, you can see it's all the way from not having any particular emotions surfacing to other ones that are on this list to experiencing all of them. And I can say for myself that I've had perhaps on any given day at least three or four of these different emotions showing up. And you can perhaps notice that some of them are challenging for us to be with and other ones that are actually quite comfortable and ones that we would like to experience more of. Um, so our hope is really now to take a bit of time as a panel to explore these emotions in a little bit more detail. And you're listening in, as you hear some of our experiences, feel free to type in the chat box um, maybe a little bit more detail about some of the emotions you're feeling and some of the um, aspects of it, because all of us are, are practicing in different ways, and so certainly each of our experiences, while similar, are going to be unique as well. So perhaps I'll start us off, and I'm going to share a couple of emotions that are on top of hearts for me, if I maybe put it that way. Uh, one is around grief, and um, you know, I read another article that said all of us are mourning the death of normalcy. And I feel like that's so true. There's so many parts of my life now that uh, I've had to actually grieve because they're no longer part of me, uh, whether that's regular connection with some friends here uh, in the Gibson's area, whether it's getting my hair cut when I want to, whether it's um, um, even just getting some of the uh, supports that I need. I was, I've gone through a couple of injuries and I was getting some physiotherapy um, support and getting some um, treatments that I no longer can actually get for myself. So even just in terms of my own personal self-care, I've had to kind of, to a sense, grieve that loss and, and, uh, and find other ways forward. And then, of course, the grief goes a lot deeper than just kind of some of these more personal things, the grief of uh, seeing the loss of of loved ones for people than how they're experiencing that, people losing jobs, uh, some people even losing safe housing options, um, hearing some of the news around the world and even around how it impacts um, the earth and some of the choices that perhaps we've made as a human species, it really is all kind of there for me in terms of the grief that I feel. And then there's another layer just to add there around the grief, anticipatory grief. I have my parents uh, living with us, and it's it's been impossible for me not to think about, um, you know, just how this might impact them and, and anticipating some of those potential losses. Um, so those are very real parts of that, and I'm also maybe just going to share along with that that I've experienced a lot of gratitude, and in particular a lot of gratitude within my community. I've been amazed to see how uh, the physicians here have really galvanized uh, their energies and along with the nurses and all the other essential health care providers have found ways forward in really restrictive times to um, support and serve our community. And so it's quite fascinating to feel these different emotions at the same time. So um, perhaps I'll hand it over to Tandy, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about some of the emotions you're experiencing. Thanks, Raul. Um, I really liked the um the, the graph there where it's hit all of them, because I'm definitely experiencing all of the emotions. And um, it's a bit overwhelming, actually. 
I think um, the one that has been most persistently present for me over the past few weeks is um, feeling overwhelmed. And um, I don't so much go around feeling overwhelmed and not knowing what to do. I, I think I did at the beginning, but uh, how it shows up for me now is I'm so aware that my capacity to do things is really reduced. I just not functioning like I normally do. I don't feel like I have the patience and the tolerance um, that I normally have. I can barely go to the grocery store. Everyone just irritates the heck out of me. And, uh, you know, even we had a planning meeting um, of the people on this call to talk about this webinar. And afterwards, I felt like I needed to email everyone and apologize for how I was at the meeting. I felt like I was impatient and maybe interrupting people. And then I realized, you know what? This is my best right now. I am not at my best capacity and I just need to accept that and forgive myself for that and so I um, uh, yeah I try to do that for myself and for others as well um, and and the other thing um, that's quite present for me more recently um, as uh, I have so much gratitude for good government and good public health um, and my anxiety level has resolved is that uh, you know there's so much possibility that can come out of uh, this time, and we're seeing that. We're seeing how we're coming together as teams, and you know, the leaders in the community hospitals that I work in have just done amazing jobs. And uh, you know, we're doing telemedicine, we're doing all these things that were not possible. Uh, you know, they built a wall down my emergency department in a week. Like, if you can do that, you can do anything. And so, I'm just really inspired by. Um, what can come out of this that will really add to our um, our, our lives personally and professionally. And I'm also uh, excited about possibly getting a pair of Dr. Bonnie Henry edition Pluvog. And I mentioned this just in case anyone on the call knows John Pluvog to please put in a good word for me. Thank you. So I had some interesting emotions arise as this all rolled out. Um, and as a, as a specialist who's very dependent on hospital resources, um, my contribution, what was asked of me, was to stand back. And at the same time as I'm standing back, um, my office assistants, are their volume of work tripled. And uh, because we moved from hospital base, three orthopedic surgeons moved from hospital base to virtual health. But they're the ones that are like booking the, booking the appointments. And curiously, I found myself very uncomfortable with that role reversal. Um, this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with uh, turning myself inside out sometimes to work and, um, or I'm, accustomed to it maybe, um, and when I saw my office staff uh, so exhausted and so tired, I was very uncomfortable um, that they were doing that. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting emotion that came up for me. Uh, the other emotion that has been really um, prominent is um, admiration. Um, so I've been asked to stand back, and so many of you have been asked to step forward into something really big and something really um, uncomfortable. Um, uh, you know, I just think of my physician friends who are in leadership for administrative roles and they've just been, been asked to become um, leaders that are making decisions day by day, moment by moment, um, 
with information that keeps changing. And uh, and I just saw people step into that with real grace. And so I just actually was kind of in awe and admiration of all of you that are doing that kind of work. Must be my turn. <laughs> um, I think the overwhelming emotion that I have been feeling the last few days is curiosity. I am, I am so interested to see how this this series of events is going to help us evolve. Um, I believe that something about this time is making uh, our health authorities, our seniors, our ministry, and ourselves a bit more thoughtful about our emotional state, um, others' um, coping strategies and emotional states, whether we're in the right job. Um, it's making people curious about what is really important to them and, and what their values really are. So I've been, I've been feeling intense curiosity about that after somebody at a, at a talk the other day, an interactive conversation said, you know, I'm I am so enjoying having dinner with my children. And she said it in such a heartfelt way. She said, I need, I need this and I need to change my career to keep this going afterwards. So I'm filled with curiosity about what's happening to everybody in terms of things that are different that are going to lead to big change. Thank you. Thank you so much to the panel and, and just really take this time for the audience to really, um, you know, look at, look at what those emotions are that are coming up for you and make space for them all. And, and in doing so, what we wanted to do tonight was to uh, share some tools that various panelists um, have been using to support both themselves and, and their peers around them. So Raul's going to um, speak with us about a tool called mindfulness. Thank you, Dana. Um, and just as my colleagues were sharing some of the different emotions that were coming up, uh, I hope around the questions that we have a chance to explore some of the other emotions um, like anxiety, like helplessness that uh, I know I've been feeling into. And there's so many layers there that I think are worth us exploring. So I hope there's some time to do that. Um, and as, as Dana was saying, um, there's lots of different strategies for handling and navigating this world and messy world of emotions that are coming up. And mindfulness is one strategy that can be really useful because uh, you could think of mindfulness really as, as a form of awareness, uh, but not just any kind of awareness, an awareness that's uh, open-hearted. And what I mean by that is bringing qualities that actually allow us to hold the space for some of the more difficult or challenging experiences. Qualities like curiosity, like kindness, like compassion, uh, that actually create a container for us to be with these difficult experiences. And by doing that actually creates the space for us to start to move through them. We can tune into what our needs might be. And when we start to initiate some of those deeper self-care pieces, turning towards our values, we actually can start to um, settle our physiology. We can start to reduce some of that arousal that all of us are feeling and return to a bit more of a baseline where we have access to our resilience, access to our creativity, and our pro-social nature. 
Uh, so a lot of those things are, are, are possible when we take the time to slow down and tune into our experience. So my hope is actually just to go ahead and lead us through a, a short activity. Uh, this one is uh, called the STOP Technique, S-T-O-P. And I'll just briefly um, share what those stand for and then we'll do that together. S means to stop. So that means taking a pause. The T is to take a few breaths. And that's really an invitation for us to relax our system a little bit, almost reminding ourselves that right now there's nothing for us to do than to be on this call. Uh, so we'll go through that, and that can mean relaxing our body. It can be taking some breaths down into our belly. The O then means really uh, it's an invitation to open up our senses and to observe, observe what's going on around us, tune into the present moment around um, environmental things that are happening as well as what's happening within our body, our hearts, and our minds. And then the P part is to proceed with a little bit more compassion, a little bit more awareness of what we've discovered um, so that we can make wise choices, kind choices that are good for us and good for others. So that's it in a nutshell. And if you're listening on the call, I invite you to maybe join us in a about a five-minute practice together. So the S is really an invitation to stop. That means seeing if you can um, put your cell phone on airplane mode or reduce any distractions around you and see if you can let your mind um, escape a little bit of the chatter that usually is there so that we're letting go of the past, we're letting go of what we might do after this call is over and just stepping into this moment. And as you do that, if you want to take a few deeper breaths. And uh, I heard somebody say that in a sense, we're all collectively holding our breath a little bit right now. And so this is a way where we can actually just let the breath go a little bit deeper down into our belly. And um, you might even practice seeing what it's like to let your exhalation be a little bit longer than your inhalation. And you can do this with your eyes open or your eyes closed, however it best suits you. And as you're doing uh, a little bit deeper breathing, you could also just notice your body and if there's places that right now you're perhaps bracing a little bit. Maybe your shoulders are tight or maybe your jaw is clenched. Or if you're like me, your hands are a little bit in fists and you could just let your hands open up a little bit. These are all gestures of really just um, inviting our body to know in this moment there's actually nothing for us to do. It's really an opportunity simply just to be with ourselves and with each other in an open-hearted way. And then if you're ready, uh, perhaps we could start to open our senses, start to observe what's around us, and it can be really helpful to even just let yourself register uh, what's around you right now that actually supports you to feel a sense of ease, a sense of connection. As I'm saying that, I'm looking out my window and I notice some flowers in a neighbor's yard that they're tending. Um, I have one of my favorite pictures right on my desk here, so I'm just taking in some cues. Maybe you're noticing some smells. Somebody's preparing dinner or... Um, maybe even some sounds of your children playing or your cat purring, whatever it may be. And then we can let that same awareness start to 
work into our body. Our body is a wonderful place for us to actually notice any emotions that are coming up because we generally feel them in our body. So maybe even just beginning by letting yourself notice where you feel the most comfortable in your body. Where is there a little bit of ease? You might even notice how the ground below you is supporting your body, is supporting us to be here, that force of gravity that's got us all the time. And if there's any way of maybe just settling a little bit into that support. And also seeing if you can notice any sensations in your body, whether they're comfortable or a little bit less comfortable, whether it's in the chest or in the muscles, making space for whatever you notice. Could be some tension, maybe some numbness. Might be even just a sense of openness. So whatever you're noticing is perfectly fine. And in the same way, as we tune into how we're feeling physically, we can also tune into how we're feeling emotionally. And we've shared a few of the different emotions that we've been feeling. So giving yourself permission right now to just notice what you're experiencing. It's a little bit like um, noticing the weather patterns. So what emotions are drifting through our being right now? Again, seeing if you can hold whatever you find without our usual need to judge it or suppress it or fix it in some way. And then in the last part of the exercise, we can actually just get a sense of our state of mind. So is my mind feeling calm or anxious, tired or energized? clear or distracted. Again, with no purpose other than simply to acknowledge the truth of how it is. You can even notice what's on your mind or what images are visiting you right now. It's trusting that whatever information you glean in this moment it has some value for us simply to be with it and to acknowledge it, create space for it. Whether positive, less positive, we're kind of giving up those distinctions and seeing everything in a useful light. And then as the final part of the exercise, the P, it's really now just to proceed into this moment now. And perhaps you've uh, received a little bit of extra wisdom or a little bit of extra information. Uh, really, it's, a, it's an invitation to proceed with some compassion for what we discovered. So if you noticed, wow, my body's really tired, 
maybe proceeding sounds like, you know what, canceling um, watching a movie tonight and actually hopping into the bath and then going to bed early. Or if you notice that you're feeling a little bit lonely and isolated, then actually making reaching out to a colleague and getting some support from another person. So whatever gesture it might be, and I'm inviting you to maybe just notice if you might give yourself permission uh, to initiate some gesture of self-care. And again, if you feel like sharing as a participant, uh, maybe the panelists might share some of their experience if we have time, um, but feel free also as a, as a listener to share through the chat box anything that you'd like the rest of us to know. Thank you. for all. Um, and one of the things you mentioned was like reaching out to a peer and, and one of the things that I think Sandy can really share with us is the power of how we show up with each other right now and the, and the power of peer support. So Sandy, I'm going to ask you to Thank you, Dana. I thought I'd spend a few minutes sharing uh, the results of my research and then talk about what that means and, and what we do with that information. So I talked to rural physicians who said they had had uh, a good experience of peer support. That was the inclusion criteria, and I just asked them to tell me about it. And um, what was really interesting is that the, the, there was an incredible amount of cohesion about what people said about their, their experience. So usually, the peer support was triggered by a horrible experience that the physician had. Often it was an unexpected death of a patient, and the physicians usually blamed themselves uh, for something. I certainly didn't have that experience uh, as a listener that the physician had made a mistake, but they mostly perceived that. Um, they had often a very brief peer support encounter. It might have been five minutes or ten minutes. Most of them were extremely brief. Uh, usually it arose because um, the peer noticed that maybe something was often asked. So there might have been uh, together in a ward or in a shared office. That often was how it arose. And the participants described the peer support they received, that five or ten minutes, as critically important, vital, life-saving, and almost everyone said they wouldn't be in medicine without having had that peer support, even, the, even a one-time event. Uh, the participants um, described the benefits of peer support, which I'm going to list for you. And I want you to just really consider that um, you could give these benefits to a peer, and you can receive them from a peer. Uh, and they're quite powerful. They felt they had more compassion. They were more able to ask for help at work. They felt they provided better, better medical care. They felt they had the strength to do something that maybe was going to be difficult to do, but they knew was the right thing to do. They described deeper relationships with patients and with peers, colleagues. They had an improved sense of self-worth. And um, there was a noticeable impact on recruitment and retention. People stayed in the community. So those are really pretty powerful uh, responses to a five or ten minute experience. Um, and I wanted to just talk about how we create that right now, tomorrow, this evening. Um, how do we go about making that happen? You know, there's formal peer support programs uh, that are popping up um, from organizations, but I think there's real power in um, uh, creating this in our existing networks and in our own communities. I think that's probably more the most powerful way. 
So I, I think, first of all, it's important to consider peer support as a meeting of equals. So um, uh, we need to be both givers and receivers of this. If you're just on one side of that occasion right now, you're missing an incredible opportunity to grow as a person and to grow your experience and benefit. And so um, uh, really, we want to try, try to do both things. I think that we have to start um, by practicing this before we need it. So we don't want to wait till the worst day we've ever had at work to reach out for peer support. I mean, we need to do that on those days, and it's going to go a lot better for us if we've actually practiced that first. So I encourage you to, in the next week, find something that wasn't perfect in your day and initiate a peer support conversation. And so, uh, you know, I think there's sort of two ways we do it. One is that we notice a colleague that maybe we're concerned about and we say, oh, I noticed you had this horrible thing or I noticed you look like you've lost weight. I've noticed you. How are you? You're just really giving an opportunity for that colleague to open up to. And then the other one is if you actually need to receive peer support, you might say like, oh, I, I just got this letter from the college. Um, has this ever happened to you? You know, so just really uh, reaching out to people. Um, and then when you get more experience, you can just, you know, you can just say to your, your people, look, I, I, something terrible has come up and I need some support and can we make time to have a conversation? I think it's really important that as you start uh, down this road of peer support, or like at least as I started down this road of peer support, um, we need to start off by choosing people that we know are going to be safe to us. So if without safety, you can't really have a peer support uh, conversation. If you can't have a person who's going to meet you as an equal. So basically, here we are, two competent, dedicated, hardworking people who are very good at their jobs, and we're not perfect, and maybe we made a mistake, maybe we perceived we made a mistake, or maybe just something terrible happened and we're uncomfortable about it. We kind of need to meet each other in that place. So you need to... Um, you're, your peer needs to be someone who's kind, who's approachable, and also someone who's willing to be vulnerable. If they're not, uh, you know, able to open up about their own experiences, that just makes us feel really uncomfortable, I, I think. So choose someone super safe to start off with. I think as you get more experience, you can take more risks and, and, and try talking to people who maybe don't seem like that. Um, but you have to be prepared to be rejected. Um, and so my other tip around this is um, reaching out for peer support and not getting it, you know, feels devastating. There's nothing worse in my experience than asking for help and not getting it. But I think it's really important to remember that um, that rejection is not about us. It's really about the other person's capacity to to engage in this. And so it, uh, don't take a rejection personally at all. It just means that that person is not the right person to support you and that you should try again. I, you know, as you go down this road of giving and receiving peer support and expanding your group of people that you um, are comfortable to do that with, um, you will, you know, you'll have a few people that are kind of on your team and on call. And, uh, you know, really Leanne and I's friendship um, developed um, through this process. Uh, we started out um, uh, practicing with each other and, and you know, have developed a really uh, lovely um, 
wonderful, you know, life-affirming relationship for me that I can call on her when I need support. Um, yeah, and uh, sorry, I had another point about that. I can't remember what it was. Um, and just the last thing um, that uh, allows us to be um, effective um, in providing support is uh, re really we have to come to this with curiosity for the other person's experience. And, you know, what my yoga teacher called generous listening. So we can't judge them. It doesn't matter what we think about the experience. That is, that's not important. It's really understanding what they think about it and what their feelings are. Uh, we want to listen without fixing. Um, it's taken me a long time to kind of like truly, truly understand that uh, just because I think I know what that person should do, that actually doesn't mean anything to what that person should do. They know much better than me. Uh, we want to validate them, saying things like, I can see why you feel that way. We want to normalize that. You know, that happened to me, too. I've also been sued by the college. It was terrible. Um, and we might reframe it. You know, I see that you feel like you failed that patient, uh, but I see that you gave them compassionate care at the end of their life. So I, I just encourage you to step into this peer support. For, in my own experience, it, it has absolutely enriched my personal and professional life. Thank you. Penny, would you be willing to take a question that's come up uh, from, from the audience? So sure. the question is around peer support, and, and what about um, if there, you have a colleague where you, there isn't a, a great deal of safety, um, but you're worried and you feel like they maybe need some help? How, how might you go about uh, navigating that situation? Oh, well, really great question. So first of all, um, I would start my interaction with that person knowing that they it might not go anywhere. So if that person is not interested, there's not very much I can do. Um, so I'd have to be prepared for that. Um, and that's okay, of course. Um, but I think um, we never really know how other people are feeling or, or what they might need. So uh, really the onus is on us to ask. And so I would, I would just say to that person, I'd say, I'm kind of worried about you. You know, I've noticed this and this, and I'm just concerned that maybe there's something going on for you. And I just want you to know that, um, you know, I've had that kind of experience or I've had difficulties in medicine. And personally, I have like a million things that I can talk about that went wrong in my career. Um, so, uh, you know, you know I'm, I'm here if, if you want to talk. That's how I would approach it. Thanks so much, Kenny. Um, now we're going to ask Anne to, to talk to us a little bit about self-care. Thank you, Dana. Um, hello, everybody. So uh, there's a lot going on. Um, and I've been asked to um, approach the issue of of some basic survival skills of self-care. My preference is to think in terms of thriving or thrival skills. Um, there's there's a lot of change. It's chaotic. It's scary. It's uncomfortable, as as we all know. This is, I believe, this is not a time when we can afford to be casual about ourselves and our self-care. We have to be deliberate. We have to be purposeful. We have to really keep ourselves well as we would wish to keep our children, our siblings, our loved ones. 
Um, so I've, I'm thinking of self-care in terms of three issues. One is meeting your body's needs well. The second is meeting your mind's needs. And the third is to meet your social needs. Those are the aspects of uh, staying well that I think are important. Your body, clearly, even in the most normal of times, our bodies need to be well-tuned, well-oiled machines to cope with the physiologic changes that we undoubtedly um, experience with perceived drain, danger or stress. Um, eating, drinking, sleeping, limiting stimulants, taking breaks, physical activity, and of course, from a respirologist, breathing. Thank you, Raul, for the emphasis on breathing. Um, eating. It's important to eat life-giving foods, to eat them regularly, appropriately, um, not emotionally, just as we advise everybody else, and to, to eat deliberately. It's difficult to do this uh, when you're donning and doffing and concerned about what's on your outside between patients. So you have to come up with schemes to mitigate that. Drinking. Um, in sharp contradistinction to a lot of the posts on social media, alcohol is, is not the answer here. Drinking is important. You need enough water, as you know, and it's something that we often neglect. Sleeping. Sleeping is problematic, I know, for many of us right now. We either can't go to sleep or we are asleep, we wake up, hello, I'm awake. Is anyone else in the world awake? I wonder if anyone's awake. And then our brains start talking, spinning and cogitating and perseverating. I think it's great to take a piece from um, Raoul's mindfulness. And if you're awake in the night when you should be sleeping, at least rest, lie back, do a body scan. Are my toes clenched like they are at the dentist? Am I clenching my fist? Does my chest hurt? Just lie there, do a body scan from top to bottom, and rest, quiet your mind. Taking breaks is really important. Um, try to get outside. Physical activity promotes deeper breathing. It promotes release of muscle tension and a whole bunch of other things to do with your HPA axis. Walking mindfully, even if it's for a minute, going from one end of the hospital out the back door and back around to the front door can often give you that space. When you're at home and you're stuck, then try to stand up. You're on the computer for six hours today. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. If nobody's watching or if you're on the phone, do your exercises standing up and breathe. Have a breathing practice. Take moments when you're having a bio break or you're donning or you're doffing your PPE. Just take a moment. Breathe. Where am I? What went well? What will I do better next time? So meeting your body's needs are things that are all that are all well known to us, but but we ignore those needs. The second self-care title for me is meeting your mind's needs. And this has been well spoken to um, by Raul about noticing your feelings. Name it. Notice it, name it, limit it to a time. I'm noticing my stomach is tight now. I'm anxious now. Honor your service. 
ask for what you need. As Tandy explains, it's crucially important to ask for exactly what you need. Be clear. Clear your mind. Be the boss of your technology. This is really hard right now. There's information coming out of cracks in the plaster in my home. There's information coming from everywhere. Be the boss of your technology. Limit your information absorption to certain times per day, certain number of minutes per day. Be in control of when you pay attention. Restore some space in your head. Go to your, your nothing box. Um, if you Google the nothing box, you'll find a nice um, little comedic sketch about, you know, when you ask your husband, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. Chances are that's exactly correct. He's in his nothing box or she's in her nothing box. Learn to use your nothing box as a place to go to regroup. Check your language. Watch, notice, pause. Am I complaining? Am I critical of me, of others? Reframe that. Consider what you're learning. What's new to me today? What have I learned about me, about my husband, about my kids, about my family? Consider the the meditative qualities of certain hobbies, you know, stamp collecting comes to mind, but there are lots of things that can be very meditative. Artwork, cooking, knitting, doing little repair jobs. These things can satisfy your mind if you pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it and you completely are absorbed. So the third part of my tips is about meeting your social needs, and I like to think of our social needs as a triad. We have social connectedness, as it were, and that includes socializing, social support, and a sense of belonging. And these three things are part of our, our social connectedness. Social connectedness is crucial in dealing with stress and in promoting resilience. And there's, there's uh, researched data to support this. Socializing, as you know, is enjoying activities with others. Um, friends, family, colleagues, parties, other social activities. Social support is, is as Tandy described, one person or a group needs help. And another person or a group has the resources to help. And the help can be information. How do I get there? What do I do? What's the phone number? Who should I talk to? The information can be practical or instrumental, such as, you know, feeding, teaching, or the help can be emotional. And I think that that's been exemplified in the, in the eloquent way Tandy's described peer support. Bidirectional social support and connectedness is crucial. Um, a sense of belonging comes to us from being part of a group that we feel and that we know to be greater than ourselves our group of physicians, our colleagues, our church, our gardening club, being connected in that way. So I know that all of this stuff you already know, but I would like to remind you to meet your body's needs. And I'd like to challenge you just to consider over the next few days how will I meet one of those needs in a new or different way? Thank you. Thanks, Dana.
Thank you, Anne. And I think that all of the panel spoke a little bit already about um, the gratitude that's come up, the curiosity, the the um, looking ahead to where this may take us. Um, and I think we want to turn now to Leanne to to lead us through a bit of um, talk about reframing as a tool. Thank you, Dana. Um, yeah, so I just want to start first by acknowledging the panel and acknowledging all the participants um, for your courage, uh, for, you know, feeling fearful and yet acting in the face of it. Um, so I've heard a lot of uh, people say, um, a lot of physicians or, or healthcare providers say, well, I signed up for this, it's just my job. It's kind of like a soldier saying, well, I signed up to go to war. It still takes something. So I really want people to take that in. The other thing I want to bring to mind or just highlight is that we're all in the same storm of the pandemic and we're not in the same boat. We're all having quite different experiences. So right now, I just want you to make yourself comfortable in your own home, maybe in your own pajamas. And um, I'm just going to tell you a little story about an eagle. Um, so there is, uh, it's known when eagles um, can sense a storm, like a, a beautiful eagle, um, what they do is they actually go up to a higher vantage point. So they go up to a point where they can see above things. And then they wait for the winds of the storm to start. And then when the wind comes up, they spread their wings and soar above the storm. So it's just a metaphor um, for what I'd like to talk about uh, with all of you. And um, I just invite you to consider that it's possible that we can use the circumstances, the storm of this pandemic, pandemic um, as an opportunity to um, change our experience. And I'm really excited um, to share with you three very simple uh, and, and, and uh, effective tools um, that can help us change or reframe our experience. Each one in and of itself will be helpful. Um, and putting them all together is really effective. Um, so I just want to give you an experience of what I'm, the first thing is that you want to put your attention on something that is important to you. Um, so basically elevating your focus. Um, so I'll give an example of that. Uh, everyone's had everyone's had the experience of being asked to do an extra call shift, um, and there's there, you know, you may say um, you may say yes, and the reason that you say yes to that is because you're you don't want to feel guilty, and you don't want to let the other, and you don't, and you want to please the other person. Um, so even though you're saying yes, in that moment, it's kind of uh, having an experience of being stuck. The other is also true. So if someone asks you to do a, a call shift and um, you have something very exciting that you're looking forward to doing, such as maybe going to a band that you love or maybe going uh, out for dinner um, to a place that you love to eat. And, um, and in that case, you say no because you're, you have a bigger, 
yes, you have something that's burning inside of you that you really, really want to set your attention on. Um, so what I'm trying to explain is that, um, you know, we can either move towards what we want more of, or we can be always trying to avoid things that we, we don't want to experience. So the first principle is to put your attention on what you want to have happen. And so yeah, the, the idea is to think about um, what it is like that, that's possible for you. What, what beats your heart? What makes you feel delighted? Um, what brings meaning and purpose to you? Um, so put your attention on it. Um, Will, will allow you to, to see it more. Um, so it's kind of like when you're about to buy a car and you're looking at like a Forest Subaru in Trail BC, if that's, that's a car really. And every time you go out to look at cars, there's like every second car is a Forest Subaru because you've got the Forest Subaru on your mind. Um, so let me give you an example of this. So I had an experience recently where I was on call for the weekend and I had quite a few cases left over to hand over to my, my colleagues. And um, I was feeling like, you know, this is uncomfortable for me. He's going to think I don't operate fast enough. He's going to, you know, you know, I, I, I don't want to feel like he's, you know, that, that I'm dumping on him. Um, and then I, and then I brought to mind that, you know, my colleague is very passionate about sailing and he's actually getting a custom made sailboat right now. And so I, I, uh, suggested to him, I started it with, Hey, um, you know, I've got something good for you. Like, there's there's a chance here to go towards, you know, a bit of the building of your boat. And I felt much better about my experience there by just focusing on his yes and in that moment. And, like, honestly, we had to sort of, um, you know, hold him back from starting before the anesthetic. Like, he was pretty keen. <laughs> the next, um, so that's the first thing, is putting your attention on what you want. And this is really... Uh, Coming up with what you want is a question of the soul. Uh, so, and the language of the soul is often stillness and silence. So, you know, part of part of that is just being sitting with yourself and deciding what you want. The next point is um, give up what you must. Um, so, decide actually comes from Latin decidere, which means to uh, cut or kill off. Uh, kind of appeals to the surgery, surgeon in me. Um, not the kill off part, but the cut part. Uh, so, you know, when you're a yes for something, you often have to give up something else. And the th you, when you're thinking about what you want to give up, um, it's often a should. And, and it takes a bit of inquiry to find out what it is. Um, and then the, question, the next question to ask is, is that true? So I'll give you an example. So recently I had a surgical complication and there were a lot of, I should have done this, I shouldn't have done this, I should have done this. There were a lot of shoulds, but the should that I was really ruminating on was that I should have been present. So then the next question is, is like, um, well, what's the truth in that? Can, you know, is it true that you can be present all the time? Uh, like, I don't even think we're all can be present all the time. <laughs> you know, even when you're practicing meditation and the whole focus is to be present, um, you know, our focus will leave uh, for, for a moment. So that's the second, that's the second um, principle or the second tool of transformation. So putting those two together um, 
let me give you an example. So when the pandemic started to roll out, I was, uh, uh, you know, before the, the pandemic started to roll out, I was wanting to experience more ease in my job. And then the pandemic rolled out and I, like in one day, experienced more ease in my job. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I didn't ask for this. And then I sort of changed, thought about it. And I was, I started to think, actually, you know what, here's an opportunity. Um, I choose, I'm a yes for more ease in my job. And I give up with the rest of the world, financial security. Um, and that totally changed um, my experience. The third tool for transformation is right now is all you've got. So definitely the pandemic is bringing that to the forefront of our minds. We are all facing our own mortality. Um, and living on the edge like this is, brings clarity. And so uh, now is the opportunity to do these, use these tools. Um, so I'd like to just walk through this uh, with Tandy. Um, and Tandy, can you unmute yourself? So, Tandy, we have one minute to transform your experience of the pandemic. <laughs> so, Tandy, what is, and I would invite those of you who are participating, um, as I ask Tandy the questions, you can ask yourself the questions and see what you come up with. So, Tandy, to start off with, what is it that you would like to focus on? What is calling you? What would fill you up in the moment? I would like to spend more of my free time on the thing that really fills me up, which is making art, which I am doing none of at the moment. And Tandy, what comes to mind that you might have to give up in order to um, pursue being more creative with art? Yeah, I have to give up the idea that um, if I'm not productive, it's not important. Great. And so the next step is right now is all you've got. Um, what is your next actionable step or how can I, I or somebody else uh, be recruited to help you with this? Yeah, I've been thinking about this and um, I, I decided uh, I, I have to do something small and actually feasible. And I think it's feasible for me to go and do art uh, for 30 minutes. Um, I'm going to say two times next week. And I'm going to ask you to help me be accountable to that. Maybe you could check in with me in a week and, and see if I actually um, lived up to my commitment or not. Great. So a simple, straightforward example. I would like, I would like to um, just... Um, Dana, is it okay if I go ahead with the next piece? Okay. So Tandy and I uh, run physician wellness uh, workshops together, and the last one that we ran was in um, March, at the beginning of March, in Yellowknife, and it seems like a lifetime ago. And at the end of the uh, our time together, a beautiful woman um, came forward with a poem that she wrote, and I think it really is uh, prophetic. Um, and I'd like to just share it with all of you. We are all of it. I'm weak and I'm strong and I'm wholesome. I'm quick and I'm slow and I'm able. I'm tired, I'm wired and I'm awake. I'm blind, I'm insightful and I'm aware. I'm guarded and I'm vulnerable, but you made me feel safe to share, to cry, to laugh, to feel alive, and to be grateful that you're here. 
My thoughts and emotions are so messy, but you told me I'm still valued. And my heart is now overwhelmed with love for our common humanity. And I'd really like to thank Maria Kolova for allowing me to share that with all of you. Thank you very much, Leanne. Thank you to the panel. Um, and uh, we've got quite a few questions. So for those of you who need to sign off at 8 o'clock, you know, please feel free to do what you need to do to take good care of yourself. And the panel will stay here to answer some questions if you're all ready to do so. Um, so maybe we'll start uh, this question about um, peer support. and. Um, the safety for peer support when there's worry about information being used out with a college complaint or mandatory reporting, and, and how do we create safety around that so that we can be vulnerable with our peers? I think that's an excellent question, and I think that um, peer support doesn't depend on the details about what's happened. Uh, it's really about one's emotional experience. So, you know, you could say I had a college complaint or you could just say I had this difficult thing and I can't tell you about it, but here's how I'm feeling, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Um, yeah, they're not going to tell us medical things that are going to help us feel better. It's really the, the companionship of around your emotional experience that's important. So it's very possible to have these kinds of experiences. I've done this myself around things that I wasn't able to talk about. Thanks. So the next question is around fear and, and fear of seeing patients in person and, and then the guilt uh, for not doing that and the guilt for feeling that fear and how someone might be able to, and if others are feeling that, um, and how we might be able to manage that. Well, I, 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 that was one of the things I was going to use as an example of, um, you know, what you can let go of because, you know, I think if you are stepping forward as a physician to look after patients that might have COVID-19, you know, I think that one of the things you can give up is that you should be fearless um, because the truth is, is that fear is present and um, and fear is um, useful. You know, if it motivates you to be careful with your PPE, um, I mean, obviously you don't want fear to drive the bus, um, but the truth is that, is that we, we are all living in, in some fear right now. Yeah, and I would, I would echo what Leanne shared. I think, um, you know, with talking to some of my colleagues who are on the front lines, um, what's become really clear to them in terms of what they value most right now is their safety for themselves, for those that they love, their family, and for the other patients that they have to serve as well. And so um, I have a saying around guilt that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And so we, there's lots of ways we can feel guilt about our decisions. And, um, you know, I would certainly encourage, as I've heard other colleagues doing, that they prioritize that sense of safety and actually allowing that to guide our choices as best we can and letting the guilt be here um, as we do what we can to protect ourselves and others around us. Um, what about working with a colleague whose who's maybe their stress reaction is manifesting as, as anger and yelling and, and you know, maybe some uncivil behavior? How can we work with that? 
I don't mind maybe starting with response and see what other panelists have to say about that. Um, you know, it's, it's a real challenge. I hear about that a lot, actually. Um, and it's one of the things that I've found helpful for myself is to see that usually underneath that anger and that frustration, there's actually a deeper sense of fear. And so from one perspective, we can actually see anger as a threat response that somebody's feeling actually a lack of safety and we either go into a fight or a flight response or even into a freeze response. And so as best we can, trying to see that underneath that, that fight or that uh, outburst is probably somebody who's actually feeling quite threatened. And if we can do our best to connect with that and even encourage them to even say what to, to bring up as Tandy was describing that sense of, wow, I sense that you're really upset about this and maybe help them access some of those other feelings. Um, and do our best to hold compassion for the other person. And that doesn't, doesn't mean we become a welcome mat. We still have to hold our own boundaries, and, but there's a way to do that with kindness. Um, and if we can find that balance within ourselves, that's why I think all the things that Anne was saying is really important, because the better we can take, better, uh, better we can take care of ourselves, we're going to be in a much better position to um, stay compassionate and stay resourceful. I'll just add to that, if I may. You know, in my work of um, these workshops and talking to a lot of physicians about their experience, um, I have so much more compassion for dysfunctional behavior because I see that it comes exactly as Raul is saying from a place of suffering. Um, and uh, I think the question to ask uh, that person is, what is going on for you? what is happening for you, not why did you, you know, why did you do that, you know, this is not okay, but really tell me about your experience and, and what's behind this. And often there's like any number of very legitimate, incredible frustrations that other people aren't aware of. Um, and, and it's still not okay, you know, to um, be inappropriate at work. There's still this requirement of professional behavior and people kind of know that they've crossed the line, but they're just so overwhelmed by their experience. Um, the next question, I think, is about uh, the emotion of irritation, which uh, <laughs> I certainly felt into when I'm on my thousandth conversation about why this is different than the flu or about the inconveniences of um, social distancing. Um, and this question is specifically about working with patients who, who come in uh, repeatedly um, with symptoms, sore throat, no fever, don't meet the, the testing requirements, and kind of have this uh, 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 OCD is what the term is used here, um, working with that irritation uh, that comes up with, with those patients. Shall I feel this one? Um, over the years, being a respirologist, I've had many, many, many patients come to the office with coughs, and they come over and over and over and over and over, and everything's been investigated, and they have an irritative upper airway cough, but they are wildly upset that there is something wrong. They're terrified. They're terrified of something. And I think when people come to the emergency room, even though they intellectually know this isn't what's happening, it's again an expression of often of fear. And the, to, to allow the individual to be seen and heard and to capture the, the, uh, 
the fear with a few fairly straightforward questions. You know, what are you afraid you might have? Is there anything other than COVID? You know, what do you need from me in order for you to understand that these symptoms are okay? Once we can find the patient's motivation or their real fear, um, we can move forward. I think naming the fear is crucial. Ralph? Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And, and if I could add uh, something I've noticed for myself when I've gotten irritated with patients like that, um, I noticed that actually sometimes that irritation is coming because I haven't taken care of myself. Uh, so I'm either exhausted or I'm hungry or in this pandemic, I've forgotten that actually, you know, everything takes longer. So I haven't adjusted my pace. You know, I've really had to relax my expectations of myself. And when I forget that, I notice I'm more irritated. And the people and the situations where I previously might have been okay with, they, they get to me more. So I'm trying my best to use those signs of irritation as almost a cue to initiate some sort of self-care strategy. And I found if I actually just get some sleep or get a bit of exercise or do nothing, enter the nothing box, um, then I have a lot more compassion and ability to feel into other people's experience. The next question is a bit of a question and a comment, but I think it's around fear and um, talking about that one of the things that, that, that people are fearing the most is uh, the behavior and the, the COVID activity in our neighbor to the south of us um, and that maybe what that means uh, for us. Um, so fear, anger, uh, confusion, uh, anyone on the panel experienced that and, and how they've managed that? You know, I've been uh, glued to the news since the middle of January. I don't actually normally take in a lot of news because it, it usually just overwhelms me, uh, but I have been glued. I've been reading COVID every day for months. and. You know, I could see that things were going to go very badly in the United States. And, uh, you know, here in Nelson, we're pretty close to the border. And, uh, you know, they talked about putting troops on the border, and, and there's just so much scary things in the news. And um, uh, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that also right now, we're okay. I think that's really uh, one that I come back to all the time um, in my own experience of dealing with my fears are a lot of what I'm thinking about. Actually, almost all of what I'm thinking about doesn't come to pass. And if it does, you know what, I can usually deal with it. I wouldn't be the first person to deal with, you know, horrible life experiences if it comes to pass. But right now, we're okay, and we don't need to do that. Yeah, just to kind of add to that, I, I had the same experience as I was listening to more news than I usually would, that I was getting caught up in some of that, those feelings. And, you know, I realized there's so much right now we don't have control over. There's so much right now that is out of our realm of even being able to shape in, in any way. So I've been as uh, diligent as I can with the time I do have to tune in to things that inspire me, that, um, that give me that sense of hope, that support me to relax my own system, um, and protecting myself a little bit from information that I can't do anything about, 
and is actually going to, in some way, challenge, challenge my system to be at its best. I know that may sound um, uh, insular in some ways, but I actually feel like right now the call for us to take care of ourselves is perhaps higher than it's ever been. Um, the next question is about really how to support a colleague who's maybe experiencing um, some guilt or loss or grief because for, for various reasons, health reasons, they're unable to provide in-person care right now um, and how we might be able to support that colleague. Oh, the end. You go. Um, well, there's an opportunity there for that person, maybe um, to focus on another value. Um, so, you know, if if uh, you know, as physicians, we often we often went into medical school to be of service and contribution, um, and so um, it's kind of a a redirection. Like, what else brings that person? Um, joy, what else fills that person up, what else um, makes that person's heart beat, and, and if it is still that they want to stay with service and contribution, there are numerous ways that you can do that without exposing yourself, um, and it's just, it's, it's an opportunity for growth for that person, and, um, and they, can, they can maybe um, give up, um, you know, that, that that they should be contributing, or that their worth, that their that that their worth is dependent on their. I think it might be more appropriate to say that their worth is their their self worth is dependent on their on their ability to provide. Um, and so, you know, they could really have a beautiful, a transformed experience by just uh, looking at that a bit differently. Um, so the next question is about um, mental health support. And the panel may or may not want to answer this question. And if you don't want to answer it personally, um, maybe you could speak to your experience of, of a colleague um, that, that uh, you would be willing to share anonymously. Um, so wanting to know if any of you have, have sought mental health professional support uh, in the past or present. And would doing so help destigmatize mental health um, if doctors seek treatment themselves? I, I can speak to that. I'm happy to speak to that. Um, yeah, I mean, another thing that I had to give up in even participating with this panel and this discussion is that I have my, you know, I had to give up that I should have my shit together because I come unhinged a lot with my job. I've had, I've experienced three uh, major professional burnouts, um, one of which was life-threatening. Um, Rawl has been a coach for me. Um, and, you know, um, Tani and I run these physician workshops and, um, you know, uh, uh, I always, I always have this, um, feeling that I'm a hypocrite doing them because, because of my experience. And she's like, actually, it's more effective if one of us is in the mud. So, you know, usually I'm the one in the mud. So, yeah, I'm starting to have a bit more compassion for myself. And, you know, uh, success for me is that I'm still practicing orthopedics. Um, and also, like, um, when I get unhinged, it, it, it may be lasting longer or shorter, I mean, instead of ruminating about um, 
a bad outcome for a year or two. I might ruminate it about, about it for a week or, or a month. Um, so, you know, success for people in, in this arena is, is, um, is individual, is personal, um, and I just, I think we all need to give up that we should have our shit together. You know, I don't mind just chiming in to say, um, you know, I do a lot of work on provider wellness. And just in the last year and a half, I burnt out from providing wellness projects and support for others. So none of us are immune. And, um, and um, you know, as I look back to what really helped me work through some of that, I there was a lot of learning in that. I, I realized that um, I'm much more resilient when I'm in collaboration with other people. So it's really supported me in collaborating efforts and aligning with other like-minded people. And it's deepened my relationships. So where I went to for mental health support was actually my peers. And I was both physicians as well as other humans who uh, I felt I could trust. And I found actually that if I just let myself trust a little bit, um, I quickly found out where that trust was worthy. And I could kind of let myself move forward with about four or five really key relationships. And so I think I just want to say, yes, uh, mental health support is in incredibly valuable and it can come in lots of different forms. I'd just like to add to that. So I, I'm really actually here right now and did the research and, you know, the workshop and, and the things that I'm trying to be a contribution for in wellness because I experienced PTSD uh, related to work. And, and so when I first kind of dawned on me, well, someone else helped me figure out that this is what was going on, um, I was like, well, what's wrong with me that I got PTSD? Like, wh like why am I, you know, not resilient enough, blah, blah, blah. And, and I kind of actually um, uh, have come to really change my thinking on that. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. I witnessed something horrific, uh, and it's maybe just a normal response to my experience, and I don't need to be ashamed about it. And maybe other people would have had that experience and not got PTSD, and like that's, but that doesn't mean anything either. You know, and someone sent me an article about, oh, all the mental health outcomes that are going to happen in healthcare workers because of COVID, anxiety, and depression. And my response is, and that's not abnormal. It's, it's, it's a normal response to what we're dealing with. I don't think we should be ashamed of, of having these um, uh, responses, like, which I think are normal. And I, I, I think um, yeah, I don't want to minimize people's experience of mental illness because I, I think it's a terrible, it can be terrible illness, uh, and maybe there's nothing wrong with us that we have these things. In addition, oh, I'm sorry, Anne. I'm just going to um, make one more comment. Um, one of the physicians in, in my hospital um, was an alcoholic for many, many, many years, and uh, and during the time that we all suspected and then thought that he was drinking and then asked him about things when he was on call and came in, um, nothing happened. But when he was called on the carpet, after not too long, um, by one of his colleagues and told, you need to go get help, and he did, he came back and became a spokesperson. You know, not a poster boy by any means. <laughs> but a spokesperson, a spokesperson for the fact that we are at risk of these 
things. We are at risk of addictive uh, addiction problems. We are in a high-risk profession because of what we see, what we do, and how we hold ourselves accountable for an awful lot. He single-handedly made it um, much more simple for other colleagues to come forward and take time to deal with some of their own mental health issues. So the part of the question that said, does it make it easier for other doctors if we know somebody's in trouble and they're able to acknowledge it? Yes, it does if it's acknowledged in a way that promotes what we're looking for. And in his case, he acknowledged his uh, illness as growth through the illness and became a very hopeful individual, first of all. And he wouldn't mind me talking about this now. Um, Roland, I'm going to look to you just because of some of the team coaching stuff I know you've done. Um, so this, this question is from a pharmacist and really wanting some input about how to really address and manage the staff concerns about symptomatic patients coming into the store. And I think this could apply to anyone who's working in interprofessional teams that have that fear. So how do we, how do we work across professions and um, to really support our teams? Yeah, there's, well, that could be an entire another talk, couldn't it, on uh, tackling team fear. <laughs> um, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind um, it can be really helpful to have um, some conversations with the team. And I think really helpful to almost have a team pact where we identify with each other that we're going to have each other's back. And I think that can be really powerful to set that stage where people um, can notice if somebody's struggling and have a pact where we're going to support those that are having a challenging time. Um, that can be a place where, as a team, you can decide what are some of the boundaries we're going to have in terms of who comes in, how they come in, what are our strategies for protection, how are we going to stay updated as a team in terms of best practices. And I think it also would be helpful to um, see if you can create an environment of hope, an environment of confidence, um, because we know that fear can be a bit of an emotional contagion. You know. If, one or two or three people feel it, uh, we can quickly kind of infect the whole team. And so I think really supporting ourselves to tap into some of those more positive emotions, whether it's um, that sense of compassion for others, that sense of creating a sense of safety, feeling that sense of gratitude, really supporting ourselves to step into that experience together and creating a culture that focuses on that, I think will actually help create the container for some of the more challenging emotions that might be surfacing. Thank you. I, I think the next question speaks to um, the collective holding of the breath, the feeling like we're in this holding pattern and we don't know what's next, um, going to come next. And so the question is about dealing with the impending doom. Um, at the thought of restrictions being lifted or lightened, at the thought of kids going back to school in some capacity and all of those fears. So we've, we've adjusted to this new normal and then the thought of things being uh, brought back to normal can bring a lot of fear for people. So how, how can that be managed? 
Um, I, ha I have a comment, if I may. Um, uh, and I think it relates to um, uh, trust in the advice that we are getting. And so countries that don't trust their governments uh, don't follow the recommendations of the government. And countries where there is a lot of faith that the government has the citizens' best interests at heart, um, people are very compliant. So um, I think it's Switzerland where they or Sweden, they didn't put anybody on house arrest because they just trusted that people were adults and, and, and would um, do what was right. And um, I think we're just so incredibly fortunate here to have amazing public health advice from federal and provincial. And you know the numbers really bear that out. And I don't think we should be questioning that. I think our job now uh, as members of society is to do what's best for society, and that's really following the guidelines. We shouldn't be reinventing them. And I feel like if the government is saying, yeah, we should let kids go back to school, I think it's going to be okay to do that. I can add, I could add to that on a person like on on another level um, is is um, I think this is an invitation to be present um, because if if um, you know if we're we're thinking about the past we we often have regret and if we're looking towards the future there's anxiety um, and really the 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 where the place we're going to find some freedom. Um, in this uncertainty is in the present. Um, so with the next breath, the next thing you're doing, and and maybe the participants had an experience of that with Rawls um, stop. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just invite people to try and find ways to be present. For me, I find it uh, challenging at this time to sit and meditate and for me like uh, I found movement to be um, something that keeps me present more uh, such as yoga or cross-country skiing or something like that so I mean everybody's going to be different and I think it's I think it's really important or as Anne suggested you know doing a hobby that's um, mindful you know um, so yeah just trying to find for yourself some moments of presence, being present. If I could just add to that, uh, Dana, Leanne, what you're, what you're talking about to me feels really important. And I just want to add that I think one of the challenges that I've seen with a lot of uh, my colleagues and around the province is many physicians are having to think about the worst case scenarios. And that's actually supporting us to really keep our communities safe. But the danger in that is our body doesn't actually know the difference. So we're spending all this time worst-case scenario planning, and our body is actually accumulating that sense of threat and that sense of anxiety and stress. So I think we have to just as a group really reflect on the importance of that kind of planning. And as Leanne was talking about, is like keeping some of those ideas and the worst-case scenario imaginations at bay a little bit because none of us really know what's going to happen next and uh, trust that we have a deep resilience within us, that we can handle the truth and the moments when they come. So with that, I think we'll bring our evening to a close with, with some lovely words from one of our participants who shared with Slido. And um, this person has shared that they're, they're really surprised by the gift of slowing down in this. Um, 
and that they, their usual longing to travel um, has really dissipated and, and they're feeling gratitude for the gift that, that they're discovering um, of just staying home and slowing down. And so thank you for sharing that. Thank you all for sharing your questions. Thank you panelists for sharing um, your vulnerability and your wisdom. Um, like to thank everybody for attending tonight. I'm hoping that the session was of value to you. If you could take a few moments right now to complete the attendance evaluation forms that were emailed to you, you'll get your study credits that way. And we'd love your feedback on tonight's webinar. For any rural physicians out there, um, the, the coaching and mentoring program camp is a peer support off, uh, offering through UBC's rural CPD program. Um, and that's for anyone who's going through transitions or needs clinical coaching, virtual care support, all of those sorts of things. So that is a peer support offering. Um, and also just wanted to let you know about our next webinar in this series, uh, which is on Thursday of this week. And it is about palliative care and approaching difficult conversations with COVID-19 patients. So I thank you all. Um, I wish you a good night and wish you uh, taking good care. Thanks for joining us and please tune in for the rest of our episodes. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 